On the show this week, I talk to the journalist, BBC presenter and technology geek, Kate Russell. We talk about fintech, diversity in the workplace and online gaming for charity. Welcome to episode 153 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh, helping you keep your marketing strategy simple and the BS at bay. Hey folks, and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I'm so pleased that you chose to plug me and my guests into your earphones. As we wind down for 2017, we're all looking forward to some time off over Christmas, but soon our attention will turn to 2018. What are your plans for next year? How are you going to market and grow your business? It's important to have a marketing strategy and to keep it simple, and I'd love to help you. I offer marketing consultancy one-to-one online. We can chat over Skype or Zoom. Whether it's a high-level strategy you're looking for, content creation, or social media you want to talk about, please look me up at rogeredwards.co.uk. If it's possible to find half an hour or an hour in your diary, let's talk about marketing your business and growing your business. So let's get into that interview with Kate Russell. We chat about... How Kate uses gaming platform Twitch to raise money for charity, current developments in technology that we should all pay attention to, fintech developments people in financial services need to know about, why diversity in business is important, Kate's tips for becoming a public speaker, especially for women, and a great example of social listening, which we can all learn from. So let's get straight into that interview with Kate right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Kate Russell, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, Roger. Nice to talk to you again. Kate, where are we Skyping each other from now? Of course, I'm in Edinburgh, as always. So I'm I'm in um, Hertfordshire. Um, I'm in my house. I've got a scripting day today. Um, I've actually got two jobs tomorrow. I'm, I'm doing the Click Christmas episode. And uh, then in the evening, I'm hosting the Talent Unleashed Awards, um, which is a Richard Branson funded awards that uh, sort of honours the best in tech talent in the UK. So I'm here in my lounge pants and my slippers, um, (laughs) as I usually do when I'm doing my scripting at home, just preparing for that tomorrow. And that's why we're not using video. We're just using audio this morning, of course. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I'm very confident in technology, but I'm also very aware of its flaws and its its weaknesses so I don't keep my uh, webcams actually plugged in I only plug them in when I use them um, because they are um, a point at which hackers could um, access your network and potentially you know spy on you in a very creepy way so so yeah when I'm at home unless I'm doing uh, streaming which I guess we'll talk about in a bit um, I, I tend just to have uh, my lounge pants and my slippers on or, or a onesie I got sent a Skyrim onesie <laughs> from uh, Numskull today so um, uh, with my camera very firmly unplugged so Kate you're a journalist a TV presenter a technology expert an online gamer 
probably an all-around technology geek, actually. And we met when we were both speaking at the Network Marketing Conference in Montenegro back in October. So we've got loads of things we can talk about today. But I thought maybe before we get into anything, let's give the listeners of the Marketing Finance Podcast a little bit about yourself, where you came from, how your career developed, where you're going, and basically what makes Kate Russell tick. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, you know, it's quite a long and convoluted story. And you're right. I have I have what uh, I guess we, we call a, the typical portfolio career. Yeah. Um, I've been freelance since 1995 uh, when I started writing for magazines um, get reviewing games. Actually, I was working on, on games magazines. Um, but I came previous to that. I was in a sales background, um, uh, you know, the end of my sales career, selling CD manufacturing to games companies. So there was the crossover. But I think, you know, having a sales background is and, and then going into journalism and, um, you know, consequently being asked to speak at events. It kind of gives me quite a unique perspective because I don't have a just a purely editorial view of the content that I create. I'm, mm. you know, I'm also really aware of the sort of sales and marketing and and sales face to face sales gives you oodles of confidence you know it really helps you to develop as somebody who can speak you know in front of a room full of people um and and then yeah so I, I was reviewing games and then sort of got a bit more serious got picked up by sky tv uh, when they launched their dedicated uh, computer channel which then became dot tv that was in the late 90s mm-hmm. that folded in the early 2000s but by then the bbc had picked me up um and i was reporting for them sort of on an ad hoc basis and then around, I guess it was around 2000 and, um, gosh, I've been with Click now for, I think, 15 years. So I guess, yeah, 15 years ago, um, they took me into the team sort of full, full-time, a full-time sort of regular. Mm. Um, so I was doing a weekly slot. Um, and then, of course, social media built around that time. And I've really become known within sort of tech circles as somebody who – understands websites understands apps understands user behavior around websites and apps i do quite a lot of consulting work to you know i'm not often asked by people can you have a look at our website or our app and tell us where it's where it's going wrong um or you know what works and what doesn't work so uh, because i've been paid by the bbc for so many years to to just try out a range of different apps i've got a very good kind of a base perception of what works and and how the user uses apps um, you know, and the, you learn interesting things. Like, for example, I don't know if you've ever noticed on an app, the top left hand corner of the screen generally doesn't have anything important on it because mm. when you're using it one handed, you, you, it's difficult to, to, to get to, which, of course, is, diff- is, is awkward for left handed people <laughs> who <laughs> use it the other way around. But you know, there's lots of little nuances that I've picked up around, um, you know, sort of app design and, and, and the way to market things as well over the years. Um, and, that, and then now I... Um, gosh, I, I've I always wanted to be a, a fiction writer, and I um, crowdfunded my first book, which was uh, published in 2014, and then my second book, uh, which is a fantasy. Um, the first one was an adult sci-fi. Second one's a fantasy for teens, which uh, that came out last year. Um, both of them I crowdfunded to become audiobooks as well. And most recently, I've kind of gone, oh, I have columns in National Geographic Traveller magazine using, um, doing tech traveller um, content. So I've had that for six years now every month. Uh, and most recently, in the last couple of years, I've gone to Twitch, which is an online 
sort of broadcast platform. It used to be just in TV. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah. Um, where people go and watch people play games and chat to them and stuff. And I've, I'm a partnered streamer, so people actually pay a subscription voluntarily. They don't have to pay, but, uh, you know, I have a number of people that pay a subscription to um, be part of the channel. They get little icons and, and they tune in and watch me play games and chat to me. And we raise – I actually use that – as a really good platform for marketing you know if i've got a crowdfunding um, campaign that i'm running um, or whatever then you know I'll, I'll sort of promote it through my twitch channel but also we raise a lot of money for charity um that the the charity i support is called special effect that helps um uh, disabled people with disabilities to um, play video games um, by designing interfaces that work with their physical disabilities. I've been um, a, a vice president of that charity uh, for a couple of years. And I think me and my community, we've raised something in the region of about £40,000 for them over the last three years since I've been uh, supporting them. And this Christmas, I'm doing a repeat of an event that I did a couple of years ago called Slough Bells Ringing. Right. Um, the reason being that I uh, named a planet in the game Elite Dangerous and I called it Slough. Um, because I wanted to call the space station Slough Orbital because I thought that would be funny. It's, it's as simple as that. And there's nothing more complicated. Um, but we raised seven and a half thousand pounds last year, uh, two years ago, uh, running the event over Christmas. And I'm starting it on the 22nd of December and I'm going to be doing streaming every day for 12 days. Um, I've got a great giveaway. I've, I've tapped up all my PR company contacts uh, who, who um, look after tech companies. And I've got some really great tech giveaways worth about £150 a day to give away. Mm. And um, hopefully from the 22nd of December to the 2nd of January, hopefully we're going to raise a lot of money again for um, special effect. You know, I think it's I love doing that at Christmas because I think we tend to forget what the spirit of Christmas is about. And it's just a really good reminder that, you know, there there's this group of people doing really good things for people, helping them live a somewhat sort of normal and enjoyable life through really tough times. Mm. Um, and all my viewers kind of really get behind it and put their credit cards where their mouths are and, and say, yeah, it's the spirit of giving. So and, you know, that's evidenced by the tech companies who've given me you know, amazing things to give away. I've got um, a gaming chair, 400 pound gaming chair from Noble Chairs. Overclockers have given me some stuff. HyperX have given me some keyboard, keyboard mouse and and um, and, and headphone accessories. Propel have given me, given me a Star Wars drone to give away. Hive have given me um, a whole bunch of home, um, smart home um, sensors and, and, and thermostats and things. It just warms the cockles of your heart to know that you know in this world where we're mostly about profit and business and you know turnover and and and, and getting jobs done that actually you know big companies and individuals alike uh, will step outside of that and say yes have some stuff to try and you know do some good with exactly yeah. exactly it's interesting isn't it i mean you've you've got so many um, interests and areas of expertise that dovetail with some of the things that I have grown up with and like. So we're both fans of science fiction. I can remember us having a chat um, in Montenegro about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and yeah. that sort of thing. And that that's so interesting that you've written your own science fiction and fantasy books. And the gaming thing as well. You know, I've been a gamer for many, many years, perhaps not as a prolific gamer as yourself, mainly um, first-person shooters, I have to say, although I am partial right. to Planet Coaster and I 
I remember you mentioning that as well. Oh, do you know what? I gave myself <laughs> cubital tunnel syndrome, play <laughs> coaster, because I just was sitting there designing, uh, uh, which is an RSI, um, uh, passive strain injury thing, yeah. sitting there designing a, a roller coaster. And I think I was just sitting there for about four hours, just sort of like really concentrating with my <laughs> hand on the mouse, leaning on my elbow. Um, and, and I sort of like, you know, finished what I was doing, stretch back. And I was like, oh, gosh, I've lost the feeling in mm. my li- two two smallest fingers on my right hand. And it took about six months to come back. You have, wow. to, you have to be careful with games. Sometimes you get too sucked into them. Yeah. And this whole thing of using the the live streaming to raise money for charity is just unbelievable. I think, you know, I, I sort of dip into some of these um, Twitch gaming channels just to see what's happening and some of these people are actually broadcasting pretty much 24 hours aren't they? you think do these people ever go to bed they're just playing games all the time but because they've got a live audience they're also interacting they're answering questions they're giving people tips and cheats and how to do this and how to do that so i can see how you built an audience there that actually it's a perfect environment for raising money for charity and it's great you know the thing i mean it's 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 uh, altruistic intentions to raise money but also there is there is the the added benefit that any online community and I, i guess this goes across the spectrum of industries as well um any online community if you're trying to build a community if you give that community the opportunity to do good Mm. then that really coalesces them and really strengthens the community from within so you know as well as um i I have a lot of friends who actually uh, you know their full-time job is streaming Mm -hmm. now you hear about these sort of streamers who earn really ridiculous amounts of money and they've got thousands and thousands of people watching them fine that's kind of like the unusual but there are a lot of streamers who will stream for sort of six or seven hours a day they have three or four hundred people on average watching them and you know they earn enough of a living to pay their rent they're never going to be rich but they earn enough of a living to pay their rent pay their bills put food on their table um, and their communities support them through that and they you know that my one friend dj true sayer he's he has a a a monthly rent goal up counter up on the screen so you know as it's getting towards the end of the month if he's below the i think it's 1500 euros he needs to to sort of keep his home going um, then his 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 viewers will pitch in with you know extra donations because he provides a space for them to feel good about themselves and and doing the charity work is is a very big part of that. Yeah, and you mentioned before about subtle little things about the layout of apps and you know the the top left hand corner has nothing in it and that sort of thing. It's quite interesting maybe to explore some of the trends that you've seen in technology because people are sending you apps to review whether it's the click program or whether it's just for your website so you're getting a a unique insight really from all sorts of different industries around about what makes a good app what makes a good website so what are the things that are developing at the moment that really excite you about technology yeah absolutely i mean if you are in the business of of creating any kind of content online or being want, wanting to be found online then if you are not paying really really firm attention to um uh, speech recognition then you are seriously missing a trick uh I, you know kodak um the camera people that one of their engineers actually invented the digital um, photograph digital yeah. camera but then Kodak didn't get behind it they didn't take it seriously and, and hence Kodak went out of business yes. back in 2007 and you know you're going to do a Kodak 
if you're not looking at speech recognition. Last year, Google reported that one in five searches through their um, through their Android search app came through voice searches. So when when you think about it, if you're a brand in a world where more and more people are going to be asking natural language questions of the internet or of their um, voice assistants as well, you know, we, we have these, you know, Alexa and, and Google Home and the the, the Apple uh, HomePod is coming out next year. More and more people are using these and there's an exponential growth rate in people using these. And I think really because the, the there are so many smart home things that we can, we can do now, you know, sort of, um, thermostats and um, smoke detectors and you know I've got my um, Philips Hue light bulbs you've got all of these things that you can get kettles you can turn on and off um, you know through an app you've got all of these different things that you can connect your home to the internet and control it but they all require different apps and they all require different interfaces but the voice assistants like Alexa they bring all this together under one roof so you then it's then I have to be careful because I may have just fired up Alexa by saying that. Um, (laughs) um, So, uh, you know, you can, they bring all of these things together in a simple way to control them. So there's that. And the other thing about voice is um, the two years ago, did you you ever try and use Siri or whatever um, two years ago and found that it was ridiculously, you know, got, had too many errors and it couldn't really understand what you were saying. Um, That's particularly the case for, for anyone with a regional accent or who isn't uh, male because they were designed and tested by middle-aged white men, unfortunately. But um, the, the error rate two years ago was 25% Mm. on um, speech recognition. It's now below 8%, which is actually about the same amount that a human will mishear you on a telephone conversation. So then, much more if you used voice assistance or speech recognition two years ago and thought oh that's rubbish i'm not going to use that try it again now i think you'll be pleasantly surprised you know a couple of years ago i started using the siri app on my phone just to do dictation so if i wanted to write an article i would actually do the first draft by talking into the phone and even two years ago it was remarkably accurate and I mm. often I often use as part of my presentation to try and get people to start using um, technology to help them with their content I'll stand on stage and I'll I'll say to the person in the front row what's your name and I'll say something like I'm standing here at XYZ conference and I'm here with Dave and we're talking about technology and then I'll show them how accurate the, the phone's been now two years ago there was often mistakes because it probably didn't like my northern accent. But nowadays, it gets pretty much everything right. Yeah, I do all my text messages, you know, if I'm sending a message on WhatsApp or a text or, or whatever, or, or just um, doing a short email on my mobile phone, I always voice dictate it. Um, now, it's just so much easier. Yeah. And of course, you mentioned before about voice recognition, Alexa, it's becoming mainstream now. And of course, a lot of companies still obsess about SEO. You know, we've got to make sure our web page is optimized for search. But I'm not sure how many of them are thinking about optimizing it for voice search. And 80% of people listening to the Marketing Finance Podcast work in UK financial services. So it's I'm still quite a niche focused podcast, although the marketing part of it is expanding. And I think, unfortunately, UK financial services tends to be way behind 
a lot of other industries in its technological development. So I'm not sure there's any anybody out there probably thinking about voice recognition in, in, for search at the moment. But you've got a little bit of, but you know quite a bit about fintech as well, Kate, don't you? So are there any things that people in the financial services industry should be looking out for in that area at the moment? Yeah, well, just to roll back on that really quickly. Um, so there are two things about voice, um, voice communications. One, I mean, and, and if, you know, particularly in an industry where people aren't really thinking forward, you can get a real advantage by being the person who's in there thinking about it. So in terms of search, you need to be thinking and people aren't, they're not querying internet browsers by text with short tail single keywords. Mm. They're doing long tail natural language queries. Yeah. So that's the kind of content that you need to be thinking about that putting into your website, you know, how if I'm asking my voice assistant, um, you know, about something, how am I going to phrase that? That's that's now the important thing. Um, and then the other thing is, what does your brand sound like Yeah. in a world where, you know, I've, if I ask, um, you know, my I'm not going to say her name. Um, but if I ask my voice assistant, you know, to tell me about um, a, a brand like McDonald's, for example, then she's going to go to the first couple of lines of uh, Wikipedia. Yeah. So, you know, you need to be aware of these things is what what do you sound like in, in a world where people are querying the Internet um, and getting voice responses um, that come from a third party piece of uh, technology like um uh, like the amazon echo or the or the google uh, google um home mm. and what are those queries going to sound like coming from the person searching so that's the one thing that in in terms of fintech yeah i mean every industry is a tech industry today yeah <laughs> really it, it's there's technology embedded and into the heart of pretty much every industry and that's evidenced by the fact that Five years ago, I was asked to speak at, you know, cloud computing conferences and conferences specifically around um, very, very technical things. And now I'm being asked to speak at fintech conferences, at insurance conferences, at um, human resources conferences, payroll conferences, automotive conferences. They all now want the inside track on future technologies and technologies influencing their industry. Yeah. And I think for fintech, one of the one of the, the the things one of the things that's really worth considering is the user demographic, the demographic of people who are going to be using your services in the next decade. We have Generation Z, um, a two billion strong user demographic um, or or consumer demographic that's coming of age right now, and they have a very, very different relationship with the world than, than the world that you and I grew up yeah. with. Um, you know, we had a very sort of, you know, complete understanding of our immediate world, but, you know, because the internet wasn't there and, our, you know, you could see and touch and understand everything in your world. Well, for, for Generation Z, they've grown up with ready access to the internet, with 24-7 connectivity, the answers to every questions at their fingertips. And they don't they won't wait for stuff. They mm -hmm. won't use it. There's a really interesting um, um, uh, study called um, that IBM did called Uniquely Generation Z, where, you know, they they have some very interesting statistics. So for most Generation Z, um, around 75%, mobiles and smartphones are the device of choice. Um, and one in four spends more than five hours a day on their phone. Um, they're so connected that 66% uh, of them frequently use more than one device at the same time. 
And here's the frightening things. If you're not ready to meet them, they have no patience for you. 62% of Gen Zers will not use an Apple website that's hard to navigate, and 60% will not use an Apple website that's slow to load. So it's really becoming so vital that you pay attention to the small details, which right now they're not going to impact you that much. But if you're not ready for Gen Z, yeah. you're suddenly going to find the bottom falls out of your of your, of your market. Indeed. And and it's only just now that people in the financial services industry are starting to talk about millennials. And what you're saying here is it's it's even important to start thinking about the generation after that. You know, we really can't slow down. We just got to keep focusing on who's going to be our customer in the future. Absolutely. And, you know, it's technology by its very nature is you know things move fast forward but it's slow to develop and implement particularly if you're a big company and particularly if you're a company in a highly regulated industry like um, finance so you you need to assume that any major platform change that you do is not going to happen in one or two years and, and be smooth sailing you know it's going to take five to ten years to get it established to make sure all your staff are on board with it and to iron out all of the kinks and the bugs so you really need to be thinking about five years time now um, and not just sort of like thinking in, in the short term about the next couple of years which is I think where we've been till now you kind of you know you look back at what you did last year to plan what you're going to do this year and change what you're going to do this year but we're, we're it's a much longer um, lead time now on getting these things if you're talking about such fundamental changes as a complete platform technology change. And a lot of companies unfortunately don't have very long time horizons. A lot of them are just worried about how we're going to meet our target for this year and then at the end of this year we worry about the next 12 months and what you're saying is we really do need to be looking a lot further ahead than that. Yeah. And the bigger companies as well, they've made a considerable investment into capital investment into technology equipment. And um, I see so many companies who say, well, we can't completely change everything because, you know, the underlying sort of issue is the ROI has not been made back on the technology that we've invested in currently. And so what they do is they hobble themselves and decrease their potential to to, to make a profit. But yeah, the, 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 they kind of hobble themselves with this notion that we have to get back the money that we've made, the money we've invested into this technology platform. And in doing so, reduce their potential to actually make the profit they need to do that. It's very frustrating, isn't it? And and that short-term attitude really, really does have to change. So all, all this tech expertise you've got, Kate, and the and the gaming experience has put you onto quite a lot of stages around the world, hasn't it? You're a, a prolific speaker as well as a as a prolific content creator. And of course, we met at the Network Marketing Conference in Montenegro. And you were on stage talking about diversity and the fact that there aren't that many women on stages doing presentations. There aren't that many women in high positions in the IT industry. And interestingly enough, I've, I was at a conference recently and out of however many speakers were 12 speakers during the day there was only one woman and that's not because the conference organizer had a had a problem with women it's just that 
it's hard to find people who will speak. And, and I think you feel quite pa- passionately about changing this, don't you? What, what's the what's the way I, forward? I do. You know, I mean, in the tech industry, uh, there are only 16 percent of IT jobs are held by women. And if you look broader at the digital um, industries, um, which, you know, marketing and, and, and PR is a very big part of that, the the it's only 28 percent and 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 that's not representative and unfortunately if you are a brand that has that is creating a product or providing a service if you don't have a representative staff then you're not going to have a product that appeals in a representative way um and so you are again you're hobbling yourself you're you're losing money by uh, missing out on opportunities of having that full and it's not just diversity in gender but you know diversity of of um, uh, culture also you know having people it's really really useful to have people who are on the autistic spectrum in your um in your business because they have a very sort of a different mindset and actually you know that i i consider them mentally enabled rather than it being um, a disability because their their ability to concentrate and and see the holes in things um, there's this brilliant company called Auticon mm-hmm. who um, provide um, consultancy services literally just placing people on the autistic spectrum in, in different businesses and uh, I'll tell you an anecdote what their their, um, their, their um, CEO told me that he had um, he placed a, uh, somebody in this company, and this company got in touch with him and said it's a it's been an absolute ball ache. This guy has taken our um, our literature, our company literature, our how to guides, and is just does doesn't understand them. He's pulled them apart. He's asked us to clarify things. We spent a whole load of time with him, and it's been a really really uphill struggle. Three months later, that same company got back in touch with the the CEO of Autocon and said, Do you know what? strike what we said three months ago now that we've rewritten our literature and our 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 guides and our handbooks for our staff every new starter that we've had come in has been smooth sailing they've had no because because people who aren't of that mindset you you know will we'll sort of see the holes in something and then we'll try and figure it out for ourselves and we don't want to you know make a pain of ourselves or we you don't want to look stupid so we'll 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 sort of make assumptions and and assumptions we know what they make and ask out of you and me but you get somebody with that particular skill set in and and they will pull apart your systems and your processes and show you where the holes are and then you can plug those holes and everybody coming through the through the system following that will benefit yeah again i find this in the financial services industry and a lot of the work that i do is helping people to keep their marketing simple and we we do have this culture where we think that the language has to be very passive it has to be full of management speak and jargon and legalese and all of that sort of thing it's not chatty it's not engaging it doesn't appeal to the end customer and it's a problem people are turned off by this stuffiness in our communications and and we need to change it and this doubles back to the whole um, speech recognition and mm. natural language um, uh, queries right because yeah. if you have that kind of like acronym rich buzzword full kind of language going around your business then when when ordinary people start wanting to interact with your brand through um, uh, voice control apps they are not going to be able to understand and so okay we're, we're sort of 
coming towards the end of our conversation now, but just sticking with the subject of women and diversity and that sort of thing. Obviously, you are on stage quite a lot, and and you've got a lot of things that you can talk about. But I know quite a lot of women that I work with who would quite like to be speaking on a stage. So, what sort of what advice would you give women out there to put themselves in front of more conference organisers and more event producers? Well, firstly, once you get the first couple of speaking jobs, then it really will snowball if you do a good job on stage, yeah. you know, because people go to conferences. Uh, the times that I've had people say, oh, I saw you at so-and-so conference. We'd love to you, you speak at this conference. So, you know, get, getting yourself out there is really important. But being confident on the stage is super important. And I strongly recommend anybody who wants to gain confidence. If you, if you haven't come from a sales background, you haven't had that opportunity to to be in front of people um expressing your sort of business thoughts um go to your old school and offer to go and speak to um their year nine uh, or year 10 or year 12 students even about you know in a careers kind of session yeah uh, whatever industry you come from they will be interested to have people volunteer to come and speak to the students about what they do that can be a really great proving ground to give you the confidence let you know what works and what doesn't work so you can develop a talk and so so that can be really useful in terms of speaking at events you know i would say if there's an event that you want to speak at so keep an eye on all the you know and and most events repeat each year repeat each year right so if you go to an event and you think i could speak at this event then get in touch with the conference organizers offer your services be prepared to work for expenses only initially Mm. until and then when you get a couple of although the, the the caveat to that is um, if you go to, um, you know, if, you, if you're asked to speak at an event, um, I always go, first of all, to the, the event website and find out how much they're selling the tickets for. If they're selling tickets for like 600 euros or 600 pounds, you know, for two days, then they can afford to pay you something. If they've got, you know, a thousand delegates who are all paying that amount of money, then they can afford to pay you something at yeah. least. Um, and, you know, to so have the value in yourself. But you know, speak at speak at um, free conferences. Speak at um, you know, offer to go and speak at um, Barclays, for example. Do the Eagle Labs, um, where they um, they've got ten around the UK, um, which are sort of um, entrepreneurial hubs mm-hmm. where they bring people together, startups together. So you know, find something like that in your industry where people are being given information, you know, free and say, I'd love to come and I'd love to come and speak. I'd love to come and share my my skills and my knowledge um, with your um, group. And then if they can't pay you, a good thing to do is to say, can you have access to the footage if they're filming it? Or can you yourself, I, I saw you with a camera at, um, you know, in Montenegro, can you film it? Because that can be as good as a payment yes. if you have the opportunity to actually create some content that you can then put online and then you can share that with people and say, this is what I'm like on stage. So you can really begin to sort of um, you know, build up a reputation for yourself, build a body of content online, stick it on a blog, um, you know, have a website and gradually build that up and then proactively don't sit around waiting for people to come and ask you to do stuff because that is never going to happen not until you get to a level where people know your name and they come to you go out there don't be afraid to go out there and just say hey this is me this is what i do i would love to come and be part of your event can i be part of your event 
I think that last piece of advice is the most important because I think a lot of us fall into this trap and I do it myself. You think I've put my content out there. People should be queuing up to ask me to speak now. And of course they're not because they're busy. They've got lots of things to do. You've got to knock on their doors and sometimes they'll say no, but a lot of the time they'll say yes. And I think that's the important thing. But- yeah, I mean, then that goes for jobs as well. You know, I was, I was at a conference on Thursday um, a women in tech conference and there were a lot of women there who you know the audience were all women who were looking to sort of upskill or perhaps you know move move on and upwards within the industry and the piece of advice I gave to them is if you see a company that you would like to work for regardless of whether or not they're um, they have application you know they have um, positions that they're advertising get in touch with them and say this is me I would love to come and particularly if you're a w- woman and actually, I had a, um, a, a panel of, um, of leading um, industry uh, industry leaders, and they all, without doubt, said, we are not advertising, or a couple of them were advertising, but they all said, even if we're not advertising, if we get a good female, per, uh, female applying to be part of our company, we know that we need to balance the gender gap. You know, we know that we have a deficit in terms of um, uh, of female staff working in particular in technology and, and finance. So if you see a company that you would like to work for, send them a message, say, this is me, I would love to come and work for you. Do you have any positions going? And there's <laughs> my girl, the cat, it's just come in. Um, this is this is working at home, right? It's yeah. cats everywhere, <laughs> cats and coffee. Um, but yeah, d- you know, take don't be afraid to take the ball by the horns and actually make that approach yourself. Don't just wait for a, a position to come up. Say to them, "This is me. I'm awesome. Can I come in and talk to you about working for you?" And I, I pretty much guarantee you that they're not going to say no. Go away. How rude. You know, they they may say we don't have anything at the moment, but we'll keep your details on file. But I think a lot of the time, especially if you're a a female approaching a a male dominated industry, a lot of the time they'll say, great. Yes, please. You know, send us your details and, and, you know, we'll, we'll see if we can maybe have a chat. Fantastic. That's really great advice, Kate. A couple of quick fire questions to finish off with. What's the best marketing campaign or product that's caught your attention recently? Tell us what it was and what you liked about it. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna, it's not necessarily recent, but um, it shows the power of social media and social listening as well. And so and I think a lot of people mistake social listening for just ask, you know, looking for, for, for people, listening to for people saying bad stuff about your brand and then kind of fire hosing it, you know, sort of putting yeah. out the fire. But really effective social listening can be an incredibly positive marketing tool. Um, one example was um, a few years ago, I think it was about five years ago, there, there was a, a, a woman who lived in Australia. Uh, no, where does she live? No, she, she lived in America. She lived in, in, in the deep south of America. And her Twitter handle was The Ashes. Right. And around the time that the Ashes cricket match started, she started getting a whole load of tweets. And she was like, oh, gosh, you know, started responding to them. She had like loads of people suddenly follow her. She went from you know 20 followers to 5000 followers because people thought she was the cricket. And then she was doing these funny these funny tweets back going, I'm, I have no idea. I don't watch cricket. I don't know what the Ashes is. She actually was a little bit entrepreneurial. She had. Um, she had some T-shirts made um, with a funny slogan on them, something along the lines of, I am not the ashes, I am <laughs> not the cricket, or something like that. Qantas Airlines were watching that, 
and they basically stepped in and said to her we will pay we will give you a flight to come and watch the ashes in australia and you know we'll do that we'll do that and then loads of other people jumped on board and she ended up going to australia going to the ashes she met the australian prime minister um you know there was loads and loads and loads of press coverage it was in every major newspaper in every kind of country well, in america and in australia and in the uk all of these people were sort of like so enthralled by this story and Qantas's name and brand were splattered all across that for the for the cost of a flight of a return flight for two she took her boyfriend as well they got just an immense amount of international press coverage um so clever social listening listening for something there was another a couple of years ago, I was chatting with some people about whether or not um, Jaffa cakes are a cake or a, a <laughs> or a biscuit, and you know what biscuits are right for dunking. And Tetley Tea, Jaffa cakes, and Rich Tea biscuits Twitter accounts all joined in with that conversation, then started arguing with each other in a really, really heartwarming and amusing way. Now, you know that today I'm still telling that story you know so I'm talking about their brand names and in, in, in a really positive in a really positive way so that people like to bash brands so if you give them the opportunity to say nice things about you then then I think it, it it's kind of quite alluring for a lot of people to join in with that conversation it creates a warm feeling doesn't it I, I always remember I arrived in Bristol one one day on the train and I just took a photograph of Templemead station and said something banal like i've just arrived in bristol and within about five minutes somebody tweeted me back from a local restaurant saying well if you're hungry come around and um you can have your starter free now i just thought wow that is just so cool that is so cool but they were listening they were social listening and they heard me and they communicated with me i mean if you're a brand there are there are tools that allow you to 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 you know that will skim the uh, the the particularly Twitter because it's got an open API, so anyone can access the the data that's coming into it. There are tools that allow you to do that, free tools mm. that allow you to do that. Um, so don't just load those up with your brand name, uh, you know, and, and 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 things directly to do with your brand. Think of keywords that people might be talking about um, that would give you an opportunity to participate in the conversation, not from a complaint perspective, but from a they're having a happy conversation. I can join in this conversation because my brand is relevant to it. So you know, try and expand the, the, your social listening to encompass conversational keywords that, that might allow you to sort of trip into that conversation without being intrusive. And and don't, whatever you do, march into the com- the conversations spouting marketing messages, right, either. Because that's like, you know, you don't walk into somebody's party and say, buy my stuff. So, you know, you've got to be careful about how you handle that, too. What's the best business book you've read recently, Kate? I don't read business books. No. (laughs) I don't read business books. I don't read self-help books. I don't read conceptual books, conceptual idea books. I read books that are either fiction or fact. Um, And I, you know, and I realise that lots of people find that useful you know find those kinds of things useful for me personally i have my my brain is kind of works in a kind of scattergun approach and i have so many of my own ideas that i'm working on that i don't really have room for somebody else's ideas (laughs) (laughs) but then again fiction is good because marketing people in my opinion have to be able to tell stories and you've got to study the techniques of storytellers 
it's all about narrative it's all about engaging narrative and and, and making people be want to be interested in in what you're going to say next and that is that's a storyteller skill for, for definite that's great kate i'm hoping that people listening to the podcast today are going to want to get in touch with you so what is the best way to connect with you so my email address is info at katerussell.co.uk tweeting me if you want a faster reply at kate russell i tend to if the only sort of communications tool i use when i'm traveling on trains or whatever i tend not to check emails and i tend to just you know keep on top of my tweets um so if you want a quick answer from me tweet me I need people to get in touch with me with story ideas because if I don't, the only way I can find those story ideas is by reading them in somebody else's yes. presentation. Yeah. So I need to get an original content. I need it to come from the horse's mouth. And that comes through marketers and PR people. So I love to hear from anyone. I will tell you if I don't think it's right for me. Uh, I tend to be quite functional and, 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 and sort of sparse, as you know, from email exchanges with me. I tend not to sort of, you know, spend hours writing flowery no. pleasantries because who's got time to read that yeah. anyway? By the way, my, my website is katerussell.co.uk. So if you want to find out a bit more and you know, read some of the articles that I've written um, around, um, there's lots actually on there on marketing and, and, and PR and stuff. So, um, yeah. Fantastic. And I will include the links to those contact details in the show notes for this podcast, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. Kate, it's been a pleasure to talk to you this morning. We've covered so much journalism. We've talked about TV. We've talked about tech. We've talked about fintech, gaming, and diversity and women on stages. It's been an absolutely pleasure to talk to you about all of these subjects. Let me wish you every success for the future and hopefully one day we'll be able to share a stage again. Hopefully uh, I will see you on a stage uh, in the not too distant future. Thank you for having me, Roger. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and books and topics we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode, but in the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business. Mm -hmm.